So if you don't know who I am, which is very likely, my name is Justin Cabot. I am the children's pastor here at Edgewater. Um, Yay! You see, I can always tell when my mom is in the crowd because she starts that. (laughs) But I run the kids department. Um, If you don't know me, I've been around for six years on staff here. I've got a four-year-old daughter. I've got a two-year-old son. And so I'm really invested in how the kids wing is going. I really want to know what my kids are going to learn, the memory verses. I want to know everything that they're going to discuss. And most of all, with my job, I want this to be an irresistible environment for kids to come and learn about the Lord. I want them to want to be here. Because I only have two kids. And if you have more than two kids, I don't know how you do it. But it seems like when you get one kid dressed and then shoes on, and then you get the next kid dressed and shoes on, the first kid's already undressed and streaking through the house. So I don't know how you get anywhere, let alone if you have to fight your kid. And so my goal is just that there's one less fight on Sunday mornings. And so I have one story that's one of my all-time favorites, and it's a mom comes in, she comes into the hallway, hair's a little disheveled, dad looks like he just woke up, and the kids are wide-eyed, big smiles, and they run to their classroom, and the mom goes, oh my gosh, we weren't going to come today. We got home late last night, we put the kids in bed late last night, and when we woke up, we went, you know what? Let's just have breakfast at home. We'll do a family day. It'll be great. And then the kids burst into the room and go, Mom, Dad, we're going to be late. We have to get to church. Hurry, get up, get up. And they made them come. That's like my favorite story ever. (laughs) It's the best thing. When your kid wants to be here, the roles kind of reverse, right? (laughs) I love that. And you know what the absolute best part is? Is I can get up here and I can boast in it because I know that what has facilitated that environment isn't me, but it's our amazing volunteers. It's, we have so many people in our church who love the Lord and they love kids and they want to raise up a generation of kids who love the Lord like they do. And I know that these people are killing it because they have killer nicknames. So like I got a nickname just recently from a girl that I thought was so sweet and I'm the singing teacher. Because I come in and I sing some songs and then I do a little teaching and that's my, I'm the singing teacher. But I got this other volunteer who told me that she, after church, went out to Winco, super crowded, tons of people there. And she heard this little girl's voice go, mom. And she looks and standing up in a shopping cart is like a kindergartner pointing at this volunteer. And if you have a kindergartner, that's a scary moment. You don't know what she's going to say. But here's what happened. She didn't say, that's my Sunday school teacher. She didn't say, that's the lady from church. She didn't say, that's the woman who won't let me eat the Play-Doh. She said, that's my friend. And this volunteer goes, yeah, I am. (laughs) She was so sweet. And that's what I love is that we have kids who come here. And friend has just this welcoming connotation, doesn't it? It's just acceptance. It's, I want you here. I want to do stuff with you. And we have all these volunteers who... They want to be these kids' friends, and it's, it's beautiful. And so what we talk to our volunteers about is even if there's kids, there will be some today who come, who either invited by friends or a new family, they don't know the Lord. Maybe they've never even heard the name of Jesus. They've never talked about Jesus before. And even if these kids don't know Jesus, they can experience what Jesus' love is like through our character, through the way we talk to them, through the way we love on them. And the only way that you can get to know who Jesus is, is by looking at Jesus' life. And so Wednesday nights, 
We've been going through the gospel of Luke. We've been looking at the life of Jesus, the man who is God. We've been looking at his ministry and the things that he did, the way he talked to people, the way that he talked about the kingdom of God. And really interestingly, Jesus gets a super bad rep by all the religious people. He got a reputation and quite a few nicknames. Jesus's nicknames as he's recounting them to the Pharisees in Luke chapter seven is a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And we kind of get that. We get... Glutton, you don't want to be called that. You don't want to be called a drunkard. And you don't want to be called a sinner, but like friend of tax collectors, kind of like, oh, I mean, I don't necessarily care for the IRS either. You know, but here's what it is. In Roman times, the tax collector was a super hated person because this job wasn't one that you went and got an education for and that you applied for. And they said, well, here's your salary. Here's your salaried wage and you're gonna get paid this much hourly. Instead, It was a contract job that you could bid on as an individual. And you made an agreement with Rome where you said, we will get this amount of money on this day and whatever you can get above and beyond that from your community is yours to live off of. So that's how they got paid. And so very quickly, those who were good at manipulating people or extorting people who had no worries about crushing or robbing their community they did really, really well, and they made a lot of money, and they got super bad reputations and were crazy hated because as people in their community would see them with their nice clothes and their jewelry and their big houses and their fancy things, people would know that they got it from crushing their neighbors and from their grandparents and their communities. So they're absolutely despised. But today, and what we went through two weeks ago in Luke chapter 19, if you have your Bible, you can go to Luke 19, we have a term that only comes up one time in the whole Bible, and it's chief tax collector. So you can think kind of like a pyramid scheme. You got the dude on top who's the chief tax collector, who he's crushing, extorting, robbing, and taking from his community, but he's also got all of these underlings who are doing the same thing, and they are taking money, they're keeping some for themselves, they're throwing a big chunk up to the next guy, and then the chief tax collector takes his percent and throws it up to Rome. So this guy in our story is insanely rich. He's got lots of money, he's got lots of status, he's well-known, he's got power. He's a big deal guy. And Jesus is coming to town and he's got this reputation about him. And I think Zacchaeus, he just, he's got to see who this guy is. So let's read Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead And climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. 
So this story in Luke, just like the whole gospel of Luke, the entire book of Luke is about one thing. It's about salvation. And in this story, you get one man's journey to salvation and you see what he had to do to get saved. And it's my hope through looking at his story that maybe there's some parts that we go, man, that's me. Or geez, I had to do that. Or that we see some insight into our life. So here's what Zacchaeus had to do to get saved. For him to get saved, he had to do three things. He had to climb up a tree. He had to look over the crowds and he had to take Jesus home with him. Clear as mud. Here's what he had to do. He had to climb up a tree. So for a dignified man of wealth, of status, of power, in a very formal society, which meant whatever you wore, who you hung out with, who you talked with, who you had over to your house, it all really mattered as far as your reputation, what people thought of you went. For a man like him to climb up in a tree to see what's going on in a parade would be shocking, right? It'd be totally worthy to shame him over. Imagine this, there's a giant parade, all the world leaders are there, but one of the world leaders can't see what's going on, so he climbs up a tree. Do you think that that man would be mocked relentlessly for that? Totally. We mock world leaders for way less than that, right? (laughs) There are certain things that only kids can do, and this is one of those things. There are certain things that is acceptable and is okay and is reasonable for children to do that's not okay for adults to do, both in Zacchaeus' society and in ours. Kind of like In this season, with Christmas, there's certain holiday characters that are totally okay and acceptable and even reasonable for kids to, in fun, believe in and talk about. If you see a little kid and they go, oh yeah, this time of year is so great. There's a guy, I'm super good all year, and he comes and he leaves me gifts, and it's wonderful. And then Christmas morning, I get to open those gifts, and it's so sweet because I did so great. And it's like, oh, that's cute. But if you're sitting down with an adult, And they say, man, this time of year is so weird. Some guy breaks into my house and leaves me gifts. You go, I don't know about that. That's not okay. There's certain things that are okay for kids to believe in that really aren't okay for adults to believe in. At some point, you're supposed to grow out of your belief for certain things. And our world treats that with belief in God. So like when I was in college, there's no less than four professors who would start every single lecture with a five to 20 minute just diatribe about how they could not stand people who were in a university setting who believed in God. And they were doing it in a way like obviously no one in here believes in God because to do so would be so unintellectual. It'd be childish. You got to let those things go, that kind of attitude. And then when it eventually came out, they go, what do you do? Well, I work pastorally. They look at you like you're in a tree, like... Dude, that's for kids. Leave that at home. It, like, you look ridiculous. But the thing about this story with Zacchaeus is it's not saying, hey, you got to just hold on to your blind faith. And even if you look like a fool up in your tree, you stay in your tree. That's not what the story's about. The story's actually, hey, this guy, Jesus, he's got a great reputation. This guy, Jesus, is something special. And people have been saying things about him that have a lot to do with where you're at in life. And I think you need to seek him. And Zacchaeus climbs the tree to seek. He doesn't just want to see Jesus, but the Bible says, see who he was. He goes, I got to see who this Jesus guy is. I've heard these things. I've got to see who this Jesus guy is. And Jesus himself in Matthew 7 says, seek and you'll find. 
Knock and the door will be opened. The Bible also says that as you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. The story with Zacchaeus is he hears about Jesus and he goes, I got to see if it's true. And so he climbs up in the tree, even if it means he's going to be looked at badly, even if he's going to be in certain work environments and certain educational environments, you will look like you're climbing up a tree when you, as you're seeking God. But here's what I think you find with Jesus is that as you seek after him, what you find is Jesus is seeking after you all along. And he knows your name. As you look at Zacchaeus and his story, Jesus looks up at him and goes, Zacchaeus, which probably made Zacchaeus' stomach drop, right? This guy coming who's God. And he goes, okay, I gotta see this guy. Comes up the tree and he points at you. You're like, uh-oh. But then he goes, Zacchaeus. And he goes, oh no. But Jesus goes, I gotta come to your house today. He goes, I got to come with you. I think what you find about our God is that when you seek after him, you realize he wanted you all along. So that's the first thing he had to do. He had to climb up a tree. The second thing is he had to look over the crowd. The crowd here today was a group of people who were going with Jesus at, throughout his entire ministry. The, it would grow, it would ebb, it would get bigger, it would get smaller. And it was a constant crowd of people who would follow Jesus to hear him preaching and teaching and talk about the kingdom of God because he was so passionate. He would share the word in a way that, that people hadn't heard and they gotta hear it, they gotta go to the, with this guy. And so there's a ton of people there who follow the Lord. And then when Jesus sees Zacchaeus and says, I got to go home with you, that crowd says they all go, oh my gosh, he went to go hang out with a sinner. They totally just sneer at Jesus for hanging out with Zacchaeus. The number one thing that I heard when I was at school or for people who are my age that I went to school with growing up who aren't walking with the Lord, the number one reason why they don't walk with the Lord that they say to me is it's the hypocritical Christians and it's what the church has done or hasn't done or has participated in or won't participate in is it's the crowd. The crowd keeps them from seeing Jesus. And here's the thing. It's not just felt within that small group. It's felt on a nationwide scale. So when I was growing up, there was this show, which I don't endorse, called My Name is Earl. And in My Name is Earl, there was an episode where he had to go to a church to find the guy that he was doing whatever with. And he goes to this support group and Hollywood had got this trailer and they made it look like the basement of a church. And so they put these posters up that were hysterical. And one of them, it was a rainbow and it had trees and it was beautiful. It was like an encouraging poster. And it said, and I, I remember it because when I was in middle school, I was going to a Christian school in San Diego and I was like, they need that poster. Because it said... If it is fun, it is probably wrong. <laughs> like, that's how Christians act. Like, hey, are you enjoying life? You're probably sinning. Are you enjoying yourself? Ooh, watch out. That's how Christians have treated, on a large scale, what following the Lord is like. And what's interesting is Jesus, in his ministry, the only people that he opposes, that he stands against, he says, don't be like this dude are the people called the Pharisees. And they're the people who took walking with the Lord and made it a religious straitjacket. They took what was supposed to be a privilege and life-giving and freedom and exciting into this rule-based, pious, self-righteous event. And it was, it's crushing to people. And Jesus comes going, that's not what it's about really. And so Jesus even tells this parable where he says there's two people. It's in the previous chapter. It's Luke chapter 18. 
where one of them is very self-assured in his righteousness. And he stands up before God and he says, God, man, you're so lucky to have me on your team. I give a tithe of all that I receive. I give to the poor. I have checked all of the boxes. You're welcome. And then there's another guy who's a tax collector. And you remember all the connotation of tax collector. And he can't even look up to heaven. He's just looking at the ground. And he beats his chest and he goes, God, could you forever forgive a sinner like me? And Jesus goes, yeah, I'll take that guy every time. The tax collector, the one that no one else liked over the self-righteous, pious person. And we as Christians and we as non-Christians, we as people can get really easily caught up in what the crowd is doing. We can look at other churches and we can look at people in our community who claim to be Christian and then do whatever. And we can get so caught up in what they're doing that we might inadvertently miss Jesus. There's a ton of people that day who were in Zacchaeus' position who heard this guy Jesus come and they're looking at the crowd and it's the self-righteous crew that when Jesus goes, I gotta hang out with you, they go, ah. And you go, oh, I don't know if I wanna be a part of that. If when you get caught up in the crowd, you might miss out on Jesus. And so if the crowd has ever kept you from Jesus, I think this story is supposed to encourage us to, hey, sometimes you gotta look over the crowd. Sometimes you gotta seek Jesus. Sometimes you have to do whatever you can to look over them to see what Jesus is really like because no Christian is ever going to be the perfect model of Jesus. No Christian is ever going to be perfect. In fact, the, Bible, the gospel constantly shares over and over and over again, everyone is incredibly sinful. Everyone is actually more like the tax collector in every aspect of their life than they are than the righteous guy who he pretends to be. And so the Bible does this really good leveling field where it's like, hey, you're all actually right here. Chill out a little bit, right? And then, so finally, he, he had to climb the tree he had to look over the crowd, and then he had to take Jesus home with him. And here's what happens. Zacchaeus, he takes Jesus home with him, and then he does this thing where he gives away half of all that he owns, and he makes a declaration that if I've defrauded anybody, I'm going to restore it four times. And so he's, he's come home, and he's changed everything. And I think in, in America, what I got shown growing up is that your walk with the Lord can sometimes be only part of the story. See, what I had been raised with was I was in a church where um, the pastor would end every sermon with, okay, guys, everyone close your eyes and bow your head and no one peek. And if you want to accept Jesus in your heart, you can just quietly put your hand up and then you can put it back down. That way Jesus can just see you from heaven and go, there we go. And he can come be in your heart. And then once he's in there, he can be your little prisoner and he doesn't ever have to show himself. Right? It was like this personal, private conversion that your wife never had to know about, your kids would never know about. It would never show in your workplace or in your community. It would never expand beyond that. I think what we see from Zacchaeus is that isn't true. So I think Zacchaeus is his salvation. It explodes in his life in four major ways. And one of them is, yeah, it's personal. He's got this personal salvation where he met Jesus and his soul is saved for heaven. It's set. He he met Jesus even in his brokenness, even before he had given away half of all of his goods. He met Jesus. He received him joyfully. His soul is saved for heaven. He has a personal conversion with Jesus. But then he takes Jesus home and everything in his house changes. He gives away half of his goods. Do you think that if you went home today and you gave away half of your goods, do you think your spouse would notice? Like not just half of the, the coffee mugs in the cupboard, but half of the cupboards 
Do you think she, that your spouse would notice? Probably. So here's what Zacchaeus does. It's his salvation shows not only personally, but domestically. It shows up in his house. His house all of a sudden can't operate the same way. Just physically can't. They can't do the same things that they used to. It, it, his entire household can't operate the same way. And you know that the conversations have changed because there's going to be a conversation, right? Half of everything is gone. There's going to be a conversation. The things that they talk about, the way that they encourage each other, the way that they talk about their community has changed. Everything in their household has been drastically altered because Zacchaeus met Jesus and then brought him home. So it's personal, it's domestic, I think it's also social. I think that before Zacchaeus would go into his community and he would look at people and he would be thinking, what can I get out of them? What can I take from this? How can I manipulate their position where they're at in life in order to get the most for me? How do I capitalize off of this situation? And now his attitude is finding people he's wronged and going, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. How do I make this right? What can I do? And then you know that's going to spark conversation because people are going to be talking about that. And all of a sudden, a ton of social interactions in his community have changed. Everyone is talking differently because now this head honcho guy, a very wealthy man in their community, has changed. Not only personally, not only domestically or socially, but finally, I think it's economically, that the poor and the broken in his community are going to directly benefit because Zacchaeus met Jesus. Because Zacchaeus met Jesus, all those who are hurting, who are poor, they're going to do better. And Zacchaeus, he can't even keep the job that he had before because no one can be privately righteous while participating in a program that robs and extorts and crushes his community. So everything about Zacchaeus has changed. His, his individual self has changed, what he prioritizes, his the way that his household functions, the things that they do, the things they talk about, the way he talks in his community, the way that he operates, and the, within his community, the whole economic system has changed because one dude got saved. It's crazy. And what's so startling about this story is you have a man who's very, very wealthy. He, he can do anything. He's very, very well-known. He's got status. He's got privilege. He's important. People know his name. He's made a name for himself. He's very dignified. He has all the things that we strive for. All the things that we spend our whole lives trying to get, he has. But in one day, all of his priorities have changed where he's willing to risk how he looks and his dignity to climb up in a tree and do things that only kids would do. And then once he meets Jesus, he's willing to give up all that he's stored up for himself, his wealth, all of his assets, all the things that were so important to him aren't anymore. He's got something now that he says is way more important than any of these other things. And what I think it is, is I think it's the same thing that makes people all around the world come to Jesus. It's the same thing that makes kids want to be in their classroom on Sundays. It's that I think Zacchaeus on that day, through Jesus's kindness, it's his kindness that brings us to repentance. He found a friend. He found someone who's so wanting to welcome him and accept him. And he knows his name. He knows his reputation. He knows all of his brokenness, all of the, the wrong that he's in. And Jesus goes, oh, Zacchaeus, I got to come hang out with your house today. 
I got to come be with you today. In fact, Jesus only talks two times in this whole section. And Jesus says, the first time you see it is, Zacchaeus, hurry and come home for I must stay at your house today. And then the second thing he says is, today salvation has come to this house. Wherever Jesus is, that's where salvation's going to be. For those who accept him as Lord and reorder their life accordingly, that's what the whole gospel of Luke is about. You have this man who at one point said, this is what life is all about. And in one day he meets Jesus and goes, oh my gosh, I was so wrong. It turns out this is what life is all about. And so for us, we may be in a spot where we've heard about Jesus. Someone made us come to church today. I can't encourage you more from this story. You got to seek Jesus. You got to find out who he is because it's so good. There's something so powerful about it that a man would give up all the things that we strive for in order to just have a day with him and just to follow him, be approved of by him. You got to follow him because not only will you not experience the fullness of life if you don't, but your community, your household, your neighbors, the people you interact with, they all miss out if you don't take Jesus home with you today. And here's the best part is we know that Zacchaeus has got a reputation. He's got a bad one. He's got a history that you would say there are relationships that can't be repaired. And there's trust that can never be restored. There are things that will never be fixed because of the life that Zacchaeus had lived. But here's what Jesus can offer that no one else can offer. The Bible tells us that the Lord can restore years that the locusts have eaten. Things that you think are absolutely irreparable, things that are absolutely broken, that will never be fixed again, Jesus is a redeemer. He's the only one who can restore. He's the only one that can bring back these things. And so what you see with Zacchaeus is in a community where you'd say you can either move or continue the lifestyle you're in, he meets Jesus and he goes, I'm just going to change everything. And so maybe you feel like you're crushed by your reputation or things that have happened, but Jesus can offer you freedom past your history. He can offer you freedom beyond reputations or relationships that have been broken. And so today, we get an opportunity to take communion together. And what communion is, is you're going to take the bread, which signifies the body of Christ, and you're going to take the cup, which signifies the blood of Christ, but you're not going to leave that here. The only thing you're going to leave here is the cup. I do want that. We wash those. (laughs) But you're going to take the the body and the blood with you and just like that, you ought to take Jesus home with you. It should show up everywhere else in your life. It should permeate throughout your entire being, not just a personal, quiet conversion, but it's loud. It's booming. It's something that your neighbors have to talk about. Your wife is gossiping about it. She's like, I can't, you won't believe what he did. It's a whole thing when you meet Jesus. And then if you feel like today you want to rewrite your history, if you want to have Jesus come into your life. If you want to restart, you can get baptized today. It is heated. (laughs) And it's worth doing. And so guys, what we're going to do is I'm going to pray. And then you can stand and go get communion. And then we're going to take it together. Okay? Here, let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much that it's your kindness that leads us to repentance that you came not to dominate and to judge and to make people bend to your will, but you came with kindness and with love and generosity and friendship in a way that where when people who follow you, 
that kindness and that generosity and that friendship and that love, it should expel out of us, that it just flows out of every pore of our being because you are so good to us. We can be generous because you're generous. We can love because you loved us. And so Jesus, I pray today that our walk with you would bear fruit, that we would take you home. If we don't know you, I pray we'd seek you. I pray we'd look over the crowd. And ultimately, Jesus, I pray we'd take you home and it would be felt within our community. And it's in your name we pray.